0: This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast.
1: This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids, you know? Our first wilderness camping experiences were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer,
2: you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking.
3: We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake and I remember catching walleye there before.
4: I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters, and it's, it was really cool. It was my first time.
1: The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no
4: packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. But well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star. And in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern light.
1: Welcome to episode 70 of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. I'm Matthew
5: Baxley. I'm Joe Fredericks. I thought for sure you were going to say episode 700. I fixed the typo in my notes here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, does it feel like 70 or 700?
1: Or somewhere in between? It does feel like somewhere in between, and I think that's because they're just as, especially this summer, Joe, there's been, we've been out so much, mm-hmm. and, you know, we're not making podcast episodes about every time we go out, but
5: it feels like we have 700 stories. That's very true, and today we're going to talk about some news in and around the Boundary Waters, news about Quetico. We're going to talk about the retirement of the Forest Supervisor for Superior National Forest, which includes all of the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. And you've got some news about the Stairway Portage story you've been following, closer than anybody in Minnesota in the Boundary Waters.
1: Well, it is a gift of proximity to be this close to uh, that redesign project. And as anybody is listening and following closely to the podcast, we've been keeping up with Willie Bittner, Great Lakes Trail Builders. And we're going to follow up because that process is now complete and we're going to hear what it was like and also make sure that you our listener have an opportunity to see the stairway portage uh, through some of the video that we were able to capture and share it with you
5: the stairway portage between duncan lake a favorite stomping grounds of ours in the winter and rose lake middle gunflint trail Area for people who aren't familiar with what the stairway portage is. It's an iconic stairway portage. (laughs) Literally, it was wooden stairs, and now it's stone.
1: It's well known for Rose Falls uh, and Rose being a border lake. Uh, It's part of the Voyager's Highway. And so a lot of traffic goes through that area, and we'll hear more about it.
5: Okay, let's start with the breaking news, essentially, what happened in July with the remote area border crossing permits. This is a story that uh, has impacted life at the end of the Gunflint Trail, Gunflint Lake, areas toward Ely for crossing into Canada without having to go through a customs checkpoint, an R-A-B-C. It's a permit that people utilized for a long time. They went away during COVID. They were suspended and have been suspended for more than two years. They were back July 8th. People could start, once again, applying for these for our purposes here near Grand Marais, the east end of the wilderness, largely when we talk about RABCs, and you're not a property owner on SAG or Gunflint, it means you're going to Cache Bay. That's what people use them for. Uh, and so the ranger station at Cache Bay has been closed. There's been no need to have a person posted at the Cache Bay ranger station. There hasn't been since Janice Manichuk and her finger the day it was severely injured that's the last day somebody had worked at the Cache Bay Ranger Station. That's 2019 in September. So it's a while ago now, Matthew. And this very recently, in the middle of July now, there's a new ranger at Cache Bay. His name is Gordon Kilpinen, and I spoke with the superintendent of Quetico, Trevor Gibb. He's very excited about having Gordon there. He says he's a very experienced person with Quetico, knowledgeable, because he's... Stepping into some pretty big shoes to fill when we talk about the legacy of Janice Matichuk and her decades working at the Ranger Station. Matthew, 35 years. Nobody's known anything but Janice there for our lifetimes, essentially. And so here we go. This is a big thing happening in Quetico. I know people are excited about it. I mean, it was making news. We broke it at WTIP and speaking with Trevor. And that's because of the relationships through the podcast that we've established with Trevor as the superintendent of the park and uh, really grateful, Matthew, for the time that he takes out of his schedule to communicate both with an American U.S. media organization, but with us on the podcast. It's so great to have this type of information. It took a while for other Minnesota media to even kind of grasp what it meant that the RIBCs were back. What Cash Bay is, not a lot of people know that, that are journalists working in the Twin Cities and so forth. Right, and
1: it is such a niche. You know, so many folks we talk to at Canucopia and who we correspond with about the boundary mm-hmm. waters, they've been waiting for this moment. You know, this, the folks who love to go into Quetico from this side of the international border, that's, that's been a big waiting for so many paddlers and if you're one of those paddlers you know exactly what (laughs) what we're talking about and you probably already know that you can now start to plan your trip uh but it's an awesome time to kind of learn what it takes to do that kind of travel to understand that you have these options and and janice intersects with that so beautifully and the legacy of cash bay
5: that's right and our pal kevin the K Man kramer most recently heard on the ice bashing episode on the fishing opener in may he couldn't wait for the RAPCs. we didn't know if they were going to be back in 2022 and he wanted to paddle quetico and he wanted to go to cache bay and uh he did that actually he entered though through the north side of the park and came down through canada through a customs checkpoint and then down and got dropped off at cache bay And he recorded some audio for us while he was there. This is from June, 2022. Kevin the K-Man Kramer at the Cache Bay Ranger Station.
6: We wanted to get back, but uh, we never made it back to, to talk to Janice. Janice ended up succumbing to her brain tumor. She passed away and we never got to tell her about our wilderness quest. So, we finally made it back here. Um, the ranger station is closed. And there's no ranger here, but we wanted to come back and pay our respects to Janice. And um, She was so important to this park. She, she loved this place. She loved the wilderness. She loved her island, and uh, she's not with us anymore, but she's here in spirit, and uh, we feel her presence here on her island.
5: To our knowledge, Matthew, first U.S. citizen to be at the Cache Bay Ranger Station, it's possible somebody else was, but to our knowledge, the Cayman and his wife Amber were the first two U.S. citizens to be at the Cache Bay Ranger Station since it closed it's really
1: monumental and a huge thank you to them both for doing what isn't always easy which is getting an audio recorder out in the middle of a wilderness trip and
5: trying to capture those moments I think it's fair to say that the k was emotional uh, while he was doing that, being there, he knew Janice before I knew Janice and It was an emotional thing to be there. There was uh, written in stone on the picnic table outside the ranger station that you took a bunch of photographs of those guys from Chicago when Janice was giving them the spiel when you and I were up there in 2018. Written in stone on that picnic table is, Janice, we miss you, that somebody had put together through, you know, little stones spelled that out.
1: Oh, my.
5: Yeah. So that's... That's the situation. I'm sure I'm sure there's a lot of emotion for people uh, doing their first trip through Cache Bay that had known Janice for, for all these years as there will be, Matthew, for us on our first trip, uh, which we're planning uh, oh, behind the scenes not to tip our hand too much, but we're communicating with Quetico uh, Park officials about a return visit and, and who the new ranger is and just what things are, what it's like at Cache Bay now. So stay tuned for more on that. Hopefully this season could be Uh, next year 2023 but we'll be we'll be back i can't wait now let's keep going with the border
1: joe stairway portage gateway to border lakes uh really it's almost like an on-ramp to that uh that route Mm -hmm. you know really popular on-ramp to travel the border from mid gunflin trail on this side of the region and after its transformation let's hear from willie about the experience
3: i just finished in like I talked to the crew about it, and I was like, guys, like, I don't think you're gonna really be able to understand how impressive this is. And for f- four of the five, it was their first trail project they've ever done. And they gotta be on this project. I've worked my entire life building skills up to be able to take on something like this. And when I took this on, like any project, I take on a project that is outside of my ability because I like to push myself to the next level. And when I knew this project was out, I'm like, yeah, this is gonna do it. It's in a wilderness area, and I have to do everything using traditional stone tools. And to be able to go back to my roots where I got my start and teach a crew how to work it and mentor them, I don't know, is a lot. The crew, did so well they like took it on in a very high technical project in entrusting them in a lot and the safety is huge it's such a huge this portage had to stay open which might have been the one of the unknown challenges of it how to manage this with people wanting to come in this being a highly used portage And you don't really know until you get in. And the crew did so well, they embraced it like tremendously. One of the last nights out here, I went to Communication Point, checked my email, and I got something in there in my inbox. And it was from someone that hiked through. And they said their son was struggling. And the crew went down and took the canoe off his shoulders and hiked it up the staircase which was close to finished at that point, but finished hiking it up and put it back on the kid at the top. And the dad said it like made their trip. In saved their trip. And like when I read it to the crew, I was just like, I mean, finishing the project is amazing, but finishing the project and receiving something like this is like such a proud dad moment because I lived with these guys for this entire project. We gotta like share stories Share about childhood experiences, and I realized that I was at—I'm diff- a different generation from them. But it was so amazing to see them out here. Like they put their technology aside, they embraced it. We were fishing like at lunch, before work, after work. They got way into it. You know, we didn't have too many low points. <laughs> You know, low points are probably of like losing people's fishing lures on the first cast of getting a new one that came in from the time off. <laughs> and that was just like, we went and got it, you know? Someone went and swam with goggles to go get a fishing lure, <laughs> you know, to get it back and like embraced it. We had like three lake trout. And we were so excited. I went out to get a head of cabbage out of my van. Special trip out. Came back, and when I came back, everyone was out of camp and they were fishing. And we were like, it was bad weather, we didn't want to go out. Like, the waves were like three feet tall, we were struggling to get out. Me and Aiden, we came back, and like, why is everyone out? And everyone was out to fish because that day at lunch, our fish got taken, the line got chewed through on shore, and we didn't know what took them. But that night, An otter 50 yards out from camp did a victory lap, looking back at us, rolling, and that was the only time we saw that otter. There is evidence of the otter. There's broken clams, you know, on the shore, so it had to be that. That's the only thing that would have chewed through it. If it would have been a knife, it would have been a cleaner cut. It was definitely chewed. and You know, Andrew, a guy of high spirits, that was the lowest I've seen him on this project. <laughs> he was so looking forward to those lake trout tacos. But he caught his first lake trout out here. And this is a, you know a kid of 20 years, avid fisherman. And to be able to catch his first lake trout, when he had seen and he was posing for his photo with his first lake trout, it was like prize. And watching him eat that as we cooked it up over the fire, that was amazing. But to be back here today, this is really close to what I envisioned on this project. It took me a while to get there because I came out here the first time, I'm like, whoa, what am I doing? What did I get into? I'd have a pep talk with my wife, Katie, on communication point two days into the projects. I'm like, I'm over my head. She's like, you just gotta take it one step at a time. If you take it one step at a time, you're gonna complete it. You always complete everything. And it was like that, that I needed from her. And she knows that. She believes in me more than anyone. And it was awesome because from that point forward, it was four steps, three steps, five steps. And like, she knew I was down. I was beating myself up. I'm optimistic, but I was like, man, am I over my head? Did I take on something I can't complete? And she was like, no, you got this. You've done everything you've always put your mind to. And this is it. And it was awesome. And like, this is, it's honestly beyond what I could have expected. Like the face of these rocks and the treads like looks like it could be in someone's backyard that stuff got cut out of here the rock worked with me on this big time and the crew was solid i told my wife i'm like i need one person out of five that's bought in on this and i'll finish the project i had all five bought in from day one but i'm really excited i think the the i'm the thing i'm intrigued for most that I heard from people is like, what's it gonna be do in the winter? And I think it will be better in the winter than what was here before. Being that it turned out to kinda of be a slide before, but it all depends on the first few people through this, how they take it. Um, and if the first few people take it well, I think it could be a nice like, hike through the winter of good uh, steps. Like, this blends so much better. Like, when you walk around this corner, you know, we stretch the project out from where, the, where it was supposed to start and end a little bit to make it really blend. But like, now when people come down here, instead of just being this daunting task, the rise and run is pretty even, and they're getting views across Rose Lake into Canada. They're getting believe really this like glacial, like rock formation across the way. Like, I want people to enjoy the beauty more than the stairs. But in some cases like this, you end up kind of enjoying the stairs because they end up turning out just really solid. But, you know, I see a lot, you know, middle section right up here was when my wife was out here. You know, she takes her time away from kids to come out and work with me. And we all know being a mom's a full-time job. And then to come work with your husband, on a time when the mosquitoes and uh were at its thickest that's some real commitment in there for sure nature wilderness is where i come to heal this is like where i'm meant to be and my wife knows it my kids know it and this is good for me and my soul
5: i haven't been up to the stairway portage yet, Matthew. I can't wait to get up there. Obviously, you can hear in Willie's voice uh, just the excitement around the project, and and we'll be uh, looking forward to getting... Uh, I know you've got a lot of audio, video, photographs, so we'll be sharing more information about that. Uh, thanks for being up there and following this. It sounds great. I, I don't usually get up to Duncan. Maybe once a summer I'll go to the falls if somebody's in town visiting. It's such a beautiful place to take guests and so forth, but most of my time up in that area is in the winter, you know? And that's what makes that area so beautiful,
1: whether it's summer or winter or fall. Mm-hmm. I mean, the it is incredible. And I got to learn how quickly I could paddle in and out <laughs> to that place um, to keep up with the progress and what was going on. And, uh, you know, the, the Forest Service was so great. And uh, the fact that this project could take place, especially in a season where we've had so many uncertainties uh but it it
5: all came through nice I can't wait to get up there and uh i it's one thing to even see see the photographs but uh to be up there and really check this out and and feel the difference that's what i'm looking forward to let's get to perhaps our biggest story of the episode retirement of connie cummins the longtime forest supervisor we heard from her at least information that she was sharing during the wildfire closures. I did meet her and Isabella last summer during the right before days before the entire closure of the boundary waters, canoe area wilderness uh, due to the wildfires from 2021. And Connie Cummins has been a voice of authority for many years on some of the most intense issues around the wilderness from copper nickel mines, twin metals, to the closure, those decisions all come from Connie Cummins. That's who signs off on these executive decisions and so forth. Very difficult position. And speaking with the Tofty Ranger, the Gunflint Ranger, Superior National Forest is a complex wilderness, one of the most complex in the entire United States, in the, in the wilderness and national forest areas We're talking about the Bob Marshall. Massive areas out west, Matthew, when you talk about national forests. And Superior National Forest is at at or near the top of the list, and this is a unique system here. So not a job that's for the faint-hearted, I think it's fair to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had an opportunity to speak with Connie Cummins about her time as the director of Superior National Forest. Let's hear some of that you made the decision or signed off on you as the forest supervisor to close the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness in 2021 due to the wildfires. Can you go back in time with us and, and tell us what went into that choice and if how difficult it was to make that decision?
7: Well, certainly it's a big decision any time we, we close, you know, The wilderness, or even portions of the wilderness, Um, during a time where there's heavy visitor use, the businesses are very active. So, anytime we make those kinds of decisions, we know that's going to have impacts. It it wasn't difficult in the sense that it was, you know, I was confident it was the right decision. Um, You know, we've got our, you know, our, our firefighters. We've got employees who work have worked their whole careers in fire. Um, and they're able to really assess situations. Um, they can they can look at drought conditions, they can look at you know the the vegetation, what state it's in, they they look at weather patterns, they look at what was happening up in Canada. Um, you know, and they can do modeling and they can they can make some pretty good assessments of what if um, and what's the risk or potential of a fire in the wilderness, you know just getting up and running. Um, and last summer was one of those summers for sure. You know the other thing about fire in the wilderness. It's not like outside a wilderness where if you need to evacuate people, you know they grab their things, they get in a car, and they drive off. Um, You know that's scary enough. But if you think about being in the wilderness in canoes, you know it could take two to three days to sweep, you know, those interior areas of visitors. And so we really have to consider risk even to a you know greater degree and be a little bit more on the cautious side, knowing that you know, something really does start to pick up that that it's, you know, two to three days sometimes to get people out. Uh, So it was the right decision. You know, we saw with Pagami Creek, you know, what what happened there. We, you know, we were looking at what's happening up in Canada. Um, And so, you know, we didn't close the whole thing at first. You know, we looked at where we had potential fires already going. We we had several small fires um, and and kind of based it on that. But then it got to a point there where we just felt like – you know, for the safety of our visitors and our, and, and our firefighters, we really needed to, to close it. Um, kept watching it daily, monitoring it and lifted that closure as soon as we
4: could.
5: I wanted to play just a short clip from last summer. This is from August, 2021, when the closure went into effect and this was a decision that you made. Uh, this is Connie Cummins a forest supervisor for superior national forest in uh, long highway one near Finland and Isabella in that area from last summer.
0: When we start putting closures in place for separate fires, we started to look around and we just recognize that we are really in a condition right now that we need to close, at least temporarily, close the entire Boundary Waters. And that's not a decision that I make easily. There's a lot of things that um, come into play, such as as the current conditions, how long it takes to get people out of the wilderness. Um, And I do think a lot about the impacts of the decision, which is. You know, on our businesses, certainly that is an impact when we close the boundary waters. On our visitors, it's an impact when you've planned your trip for a whole year in advance and now you, you can't make it. Um, and these fires are an impact on our employees. We have people from all over the country that are, have come in to help us over a very long period of time. And so we made, or I made that decision to close the boundary waters temporarily. Um, I really thank all of you for your, your patience on that. Uh, We will look at this daily and reevaluate it, and for now, again, it's seven days out. And depending on what we find, even if we don't open all of the closure areas, we may start to look at particular areas that we feel are safe enough that we would reopen again. So um, I would just want to say thank you um, again to all of our Boundary Waters visitors for your patience and understanding. I want to thank all of our businesses. I know this is an impact on you. And I especially want to thank our cooperators who work really hard with us to uh, help all of you get the information you need um, and, and assist us with getting people in and out. Uh, So uh, stay tuned and we will uh, get back to you and we will continue to let you know when um, it's safe to to re-enter the Boundary Waters. Thank you.
5: So that was you speaking, making the public announcement to close the Wilderness, the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. Connie, when a decision like that is on your table and you're having to consider this, make this decision are you able to sleep at night? Were you able to sleep at night when some of these major decisions were going on or how does this impact you as a human being to, to have this on your shoulders?
7: Yeah, it it does affect your sleep. That's, that's for sure. I think the bottom line around it is um, while it is a big decision in closing um, I think the thing that's of utmost concern is, is safety and safety of people in the wilderness is safety of our employees. Um, And and until you get out of that type of fire situation, you're always going to be worrying. You know, I, you know, I attended all the briefings, I I was up there quite a bit, I was watching, I was working with, you know, our fire experts. Um, And so, yeah, it it does weigh on you because there's always that fear. Um, So it was very uh, delightful in the fall when the weather started to change and the patterns were changing. We felt like we were really getting out of that, that dangerous situation that we're in.
5: Another news item, certainly, that has been discussed during your tenure is the Twin Metals proposed copper nickel mine on the edge of the wilderness. We don't hear as much specific from the Forest Service about this. It's usually from Washington when there's a decision made or some news that impacts that proposed project or just the the future of copper nickel mining and moratoriums and Congress and all of these types of decisions. But I'm wondering about your involvement with the proposal and just how much involvement you've had in discussions either here in Minnesota or nationwide.
7: Well, I would say most of my involvement, um, you know, certainly I've been in some of the conversations that I, you know, most of my involvement has been working with our resource specialists, both here on the forest. And we've had some specialists from off the forest who are really taking a hard look at the science, um, analyzing potential risk. Um, we've spent a lot of time looking at public comment and um, consultation with the tribes and really trying to kind of pull all of that together. Um, so that's really my primary involvement is working with the resource team. That's, that's really, like I said you know, earlier, just really pulling in that science and really trying to understand the risk Uh, the trade-offs behind whatever decision ends up being made.
5: The dynamic of managing, you know, the most visited wilderness in the nation, the Boundary Waters, and just how complex this forest is. And our Tofty District Ranger on Superior National Forest, Ellen Bogardus-Shamayak, recently was on WTIP, and she shared some sentiments about you, Connie, that uh, I'd like to play for our listeners now.
2: This woman has um, been a leader in the Forest Service for Forty years, um, she was a district ranger for twenty nine years, I believe. That I've only been a district ranger for five years. I can't imagine twenty nine years. Um, I will say, she brings intelligence, humor, humility, um, honesty to this that position. Um, I totally. I I just can't. This is going to be difficult mm-hmm. when she leaves. I mean, she'll be replaced by a, a fine person, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just a you know a privilege to work with her, and I j- I just learned so much from her of how um, how if you're you're honest and you're authentic, and I hate using that term, but it's the only term I can figure out, and and humble, you can have good conversations uh, about tough sop- subjects. So really wonderful mentor going to be missed for sure. Um, fun person. Okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah.
5: <laughs> so that is the Tofty district ranger, Ellen Bogartis shamaniak speaking about you, Connie, uh, essentially saying that, uh, you know, you brought this, this humor, this, this lightheartedness, this, uh, compassionate approach to this really intense position that you're in as the forest supervisor and that that made you an effective leader. Uh, and those are, uh, that's essentially what Ellen was saying. I'm wondering your thoughts about that.
7: Um, well, gosh, it's, you know, it's an honor to, to hear that. Um, you know, sometimes the lightheartedness is not directly related to the seriousness of the work that we do. Um, we have a, a 3 million acre forest of resources that, you know, with climate change and everything else needs, you know, a lot, there's a lot of concern with that. There's um, definitely concern around the issues. So it's not always light, lighthearted issues, but I just feel like that, Atmosphere to employees and, and just saying it's okay, we'll get through this, um, you know. And, and really, just you got to love what you do, and you have to cherish and, and honor the fact that you were given this job to work on this forest. And so, maybe that's where that that piece comes in. But um, you know, it's we have our motto for the Forest Service is caring for the land and serving people, and I think it's it's a simple one and, and it's so so true. If you don't care about people. You don't care about your job, but you don't care about the resources. you really should probably work somewhere else
6: mm-hmm.
7: so that's kind of my philosophy and and humor is always a good thing <laughs> um, and bring it i sometimes find that brings helps to bring people together
5: yeah wow and and what about uh, one other aspect I wanted to address with you is that in twenty twenty one you Superior National Forest hired their first ever tribal liaison, Juan Martinez, and uh, you've mentioned that uh, collaboration with the bands is an important part of the uh, discussion when it comes to the proposed expansion of the ski hill, but on a variety of topics, and and how important that's been to have uh, Juan or just the position itself as a tribal liaison.
7: Um, certainly having Juan on board has been um, just critical. Um, you know, we really, I feel like we we've worked with, the tribes. We've had good relationships with them in the past. Um, they've always been an important part of what we do, but I think we're really trying to up our consultation and, and do a better job and really become more integrated with the tribes and the work that we do. Um, you know, they were, they were here first. This is their land, and um, they have a lot of knowledge about it and, and knowledge about management of the land, and so I feel like as an agency, as people, we can we can really benefit from that by working as closely together as as possible. And I, I think it's a lot of people don't really understand the you know the treaty um, and the rights that they never gave up that belong to them. And so just really trying to work through that. And, and what I've found really rewarding working with the three tribes um, that we we work with um, is that you know we have a lot of the same goals and they've just been really helpful to work with. And, you know, so I um, I had, you know, and having Juan on board has just really helped us with, with reaching out and, and with capacity and, and logistics around it. Hmm.
5: And before you were the forest supervisor for Superior National Forest, you had worked actually on Superior National Forest in the LaCroix district. You were a district ranger there, and that's the... Echo Trail, Lake Vermilion, and parts of the BWCA. So, you're very familiar with the Superior National Forest before you became the Forest Supervisor, and now you're retiring July 30th. What comes next? What are your plans after retiring?
7: Well, I, you know, I've just been so busy. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to have to figure that out. Um, you know, I, I do, you know, believe strongly in public service, which is why I um, became part of the Forest Service. And so, I think whatever I do in the future will. Somewhat in service to others, but I think the beauty of retirement is I get to choose how much I want to work and how much I want to play. And I'm I'm totally going to be playing a lot more. Um, all of these resources that I've worked so hard to to protect, um, I want to get out and play in them. And um, so I, I am really looking forward to that.
5: Nice. Oh, you'll be sticking around uh, Minnesota or Duluth? Is that in the plan?
7: Yep. Yep. I will. I will stay in Duluth.
5: Nice. Well, Connie, it's been a, a really a pleasure to communicate with you and uh, you and I, as I said, met at the Isabella Ranger Station, not for the first time, but you took time out of your schedule as you were coordinating the logistics of the fire at that time and so much was happening. that You took a few minutes for us at WTIP and, and the fact that you've uh, shared this interview with us, I believe, is the, the first uh, public announcement about your retirement. And, and so at WTIP, this has meant a lot to be able to communicate with you effectively and in this way because you know we're just uh, we're the station here in Grand A and there's a lot of media that want to contact you about a lot of really important things so thank you for all the time that you've shared with us on on WTIP we're speaking with the forest supervisor for Superior National Forest Connie Cummins and she will be retiring at the end of the month on July 30th thank you so much Connie
6: oh
7: thank you I appreciate the opportunity
1: It's so important for folks like Connie to be recognized for the work that they do to make this place
5: accessible to us. That's right, Matthew. These decisions that she has had to make, I just listed at the before we heard from her and, and during the discussion as well about some of the, the larger headline grabbing issues, twin metals, closure of the wilderness, but quota reduction. Motor use, towboats, campsite closures—all of that is signed by Connie. She is the person who has to okay these things that happen every day. Not even to get into things like plants, animals, staff, directors. Well, even the stairway
1: portage rebuild,
5: Matthew. <laughs> what this <laughs> like? It's all connected, Joe. It is, and and so to find out who's going to be the next supervisor for Superior National Forest. Hopefully, we can get them on the podcast at some point, too. It's going to take a while just to learn about how this vast wilderness area, Superior National Forest, how how this is all managed. and uh, Yeah, like we said at the top, this is a news episode today, essentially.
1: It really is, and there's a lot happening. There's a lot that's going to continue to happen, uh, and we make the episodes for you, our listeners, so thank you for tuning in and... Spending your time with us.
5: That's right. And it is summer. There's a lot of people enjoying the Boundary Waters. We had some nice weather. There's been a lot of bugs. Uh, people are talking about that. But overall, really beautiful summer that we've been having in the Boundary Waters 2022. Couldn't be better, really. <laughs> and it's everything was late this year, but it really
1: is in full swing. And there's plenty of paddling to do and plenty more season to go.
5: That's right. Let's get out there. All right. About time we got out there for crying out loud. You got me in here talking about news all day. All you do is cry out loud, Freddie.
1: <laughs> all you do. What about fishing? <laughs> well, you cry out loud yeah. while you're fishing, I can
4: <laughs> sure tell you that. <laughs> I just sing when I paddle. Feeling, not thinking if the strokes are true. Side. Now, out in the night the waves beat the shore You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar, oh, roll me Rock me in my dreams You can roll me Rock me in my dreams So I like to sing I love to dance I play the fool if I got the chance All around Campfire light all around the campfire light, all around, all around, all around the campfire light.